depression. You see, the doctors, it only came because we had C.I.E. At C. That's C. Anybody who knows anything about Haas Twitter, the Daily Zeitgeist, Chris Crofton, King Crofton, Poet Laureate of these United Snakes, knows all about Queen C. Loves those hedgehogs. And that is at Mrs. C underscore DK. That is at MRS. C-I-E underscore D-K. The D-K is for Denmark. She's all the way over there in Denmark. And she is just a magical, wonderful, amazing soul that radiates love and soul energy. Really, she posts about these hedgehogs all the time, and it is just so cute, and it is pure goodness. Go follow at Mrs. C underscore D-K on the Twitters. I think it's appropriate to start this very, 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 very special episode of Breadsheet with a poem from At The Crofton Show. Queen C. She gets cross and says off with her head when her choice doesn't win the Twitter poll. And for good measure, here's another one that I commissioned from the great Chris Crofton. That's At The Crofton Show on Twitter. Commissioned some good poems from him. And for a very small fee, you can uh, actually send him, he'll send you a physical poem. Anyway, this one's called Poetry. For those times when you want to talk about love and loamy soil. I do not know what loamy soil is. I meant to look that up, but I didn't. Okay, so uh, you might be a little bit lost right now. You are forgiven. My name is Haas Bossman, and this is Breadsheet. A few days ago, the fantastical Rachel Quirky Shank was kind enough to grace me with her virtual presence, and we recorded a digitized tarot card reading. That's Rachel Shank of In the Infinity Podcast and Screen Snark. Now, we'll come back to that in future episodes. Again, we did record it, but the point is I'm going to regard this reading... As a sign. Breadsheet is finding her footing. You know, I quit teaching because I didn't like the structure, so I went into copywriting, thinking I'll at least be able to make a living while getting to expend some of this creative energy. And I turned out to be very wrong about that. But I want to do something. Now, what are my skills? I'm trained as an English language teacher, both in the ESL slash EFL sense and the literature teacher sense, and I'm a musician. One big problem I had when I was working full-time as a teacher was that I essentially turned every lesson plan into an art project or performance piece, uh, and this made for a few great, interesting, engaging lessons, in my humble opinion, but it was also way, way, way too time-consuming of an approach for a public school teacher to take. It just... Time and resources aren't there for a public school teacher to do that. But maybe I can put that creative impulse into making educational content for YouTube and this podcast. That's supposedly what I'm working toward here. But one thing that I can do right now is try and connect with people one-on-one. And how I'm going to attempt to do that is to use my artistic spirit to fuse 
avatar ponytails with people, to reflect upon and cultivate our interactions and connections in a unique way through my weird, very narrow skill set and impulses in music. I've decided on a gimmick, folks. This is for all you sheetheads out there. This is breaking news. I'm going to make a special original song for every guest that comes on Breadsheet. Every guest on a proper episode. Not like little updates from Christy Yamaguchi Main and the minisodes and whatnot. Like guests who do full interviews and chats. Which Christy Yamaguchi Main did do, but that was in the before time. Now, I know exactly what 100% of everyone out there is thinking. Does this mean you're going to go back and retroactively make songs for Christy Yamaguchi Main and Ben Burgess? Your fabled first two guests? No, I'm not going to do that, but it doesn't matter because Christian Maguchi Man and Ben Burgess have an open invitation to come back, and I'll make them their proper songs when they grace me with their returneth. So that's my big announcement. Are you underwhelmed? I guess it's more exciting to me because it's a challenge that'll be fun to embrace, and I think the guests will probably not forget their songs anytime soon, and it'll just be cute, fun thing to do. And I just love making music, and this would be an excuse to make even more of it than I've already been making for all the little segments on this show. Keep in mind that, while I do consider myself an artist above all else, I am one of those creative people with no talent. I think that's one of the reasons I relate to Kevin Smith so much. Ah, sorry, no shade on Kevin Smith. I mean, he, was that mean? I think he would think it was funny. I know I'm always like a day or two behind where I say I'm going to be, like as far as when episodes are going to be released, but it's my hope that more often than not, when that happens, you once once you guys hear the episodes, you go, oh, okay, that's why it took so long, because he spent a lot of extra time putting that extra hoss love into it and making it extra special just for y'all, my sheetheads. Now, I apologize that you're missing a mini-sode in your feed this week. I was about halfway through editing one when I did this interview and decided to go ahead and get this one out ASAP. Something inside me just screamed to do that. You'll be hearing that mini-sode, though, that I was editing sometime soon. I don't think much of it was super, like, timely, so it can wait another few days. But that means I also, I might be able to catch up and get a little bit ahead, even, on the breadsheets. Fingies crossed. Okay, today's episode is very, very special. Before I forget to, I am going to tell you to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Haas underscore Bossman. That's H-O-S-S underscore B-O-S-S-M-A-N. Also, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Haas underscore Bossman. I'm going to reconfigure the tiers sometime soon. I have it all set up there, um, but I'm going to do that, change it a little, especially if people ever start supporting me on there, which ties in with my big announcement that I just made earlier. Uh, I have no money or particularly useful skills, at least not in the immediate or short term, but what I can offer you is a dumb, silly, cute, or at the very least, weird song, and I can connect with you via chatting also. That's what the interviews are about. Oh yeah, I just had this idea to do interviews with people who have like different worldviews from mine. You know, that would be like kind of a special type of episode. The idea behind that would be like, I don't have to adopt your worldview to get something out of it and find something useful. Now, I of course reserve the right to see certain worldviews as being things that I can get nothing out of, like, you know, a Klansman or Nazi or whatever. That's just an idea that's brewing in my head. Maybe that's a bad idea. Let me know! 
in a review or something. Chatting is kind of difficult and awkward over Zoom, as you may guess or already know from experience, but maybe when we're finally able to do in-person interviews, I'll be, like, super good at those. Actually, I think we bring that up at some point, maybe in this chat. I don't know if it's in this first half or the second one, which will be coming out in a few days. For podcasters recording via Zoom all the time, Maybe it's like uh, Goku training in 100 times gravity to go Super Saiyan or whatever. Anyway, this is Breadsheet, and my fake name is Haas Bossman. I'm Haas underscore Bossman on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. Also, I'm on Facebook and Tumblr, but you'll just have to seek me out there. I also have a fake conservative Twitter account and a fake conservative Instagram account and a parlor account where I'm impersonating somebody, but I don't want to say who it is. I don't want to get in trouble. But they're all fake conservative accounts, and they're kind of fun. I lurk, mostly. I try not to be mean about it. I just, you know, use it as a way of seeing things a little differently. Also, just go to www.hoss.fun. Also, please, please check out my YouTube channel, Hoss Bossman. Subscribe, like, comment, all that. Oh, I don't think I've done a podcast episode since I last released my last video. Uh, I have a couple of new videos. I have a demo, which is just a voice memo of a song I made called Sweet Baby Jesus. It's a a new country Daryl Grishaw song. Uh, And that one's pretty fun. It's only like 45 seconds long. And then I made another new video essay. It is a review of Tenet. Maybe video essays being a little generous, but... I did a review of the movie Tenet, and so go check that out. And today, I had a major milestone. I got my first, like, toxic anti-SJW comment on the video. It's a ridiculous piece of clickbait, both in the thumbnail and the title. So go check that out. Uh, It's called Tenet is Sexist Trash. So, yeah, go to my YouTube channel. It's Haas Bossman. Subscribe, like, comment, all that. And as for this podcast, please rate and review it. That apparently helps, like, a lot. Also, share it with your peeps. I'd like to think anyone can find something that'll make them feel nice and good like in Brachit. And I'd like to think that anyone hearing this right now would like to help me out with that. I mean, what in the friggin' poo did I ever do to deserve you not doing the nice podcast and YouTube things for me? Okay, now on to the business at hand, the thing I'm introducing today. I would like for you to stick around for part one of my far-reaching conversation with Mr. Jordan Holmes. I alluded to this in previous episodes. Jordan Holmes is the co-host of the Knowledge Fight podcast. That is a ridiculous, silly podcast, which I... Like I say, I have referenced on Breadsheet and also in my last YouTube video. They are one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, I've listened to every single, like, almost 500 episodes of that show. Jordan Holmes is the type of person whose goodness is just readily apparent from the moment you connect with them. I'd love to have him back again soon, uh, hopefully with better sound quality next time. Uh, That was my fault. I didn't tell him to start recording on his recorder when I should have. Um, And, of course, I also hope to get his co-host, Dan, on the show as well. Check out their amazing podcast, which I hopefully don't gush and nerd out over too much in this interview. That's Knowledge Fight again. Follow Mr. Holmes on Twitter at at GoToBedJordan. That's GoToBedJordan on Twitter. No special character funny business, just straight up. And these episodes of Breadsheet are all about getting the word out about Jordan's new book. He wrote a book, a fictional novel called The Quiet Part Loud, which you can download at 
thequietpartloud.com. And uh, it's name your own price, but throw them as much as you can. Support independent creators, folks, especially ones doing their best to make the world a better place, like Jordan Holmes. All that's also in the episode description, the links and whatnot. Oh, and going to give a quick plug to at Ashes Cat. That's A-S-H-I-S-C-A-T on Twitter and Instagram. That was my 69th YouTube subscriber. I recorded a chat with her that I will also be releasing soon as a bonus episode. Um, and it's going to be on the YouTube channel too. We, had, we did a Zoom call. And that's one of the things I was working on when I decided to go ahead and get this one out. Uh, my release that next with a mini-sode, um, or maybe I'll do the mini-sode and the bonus, like, kind of close together. I don't know. We'll see. But hopefully I'll be ahead soon, and then I can really get a good release schedule going. So, like I said, my new thing on Breadsheet is that I'm going to make an original song for each guest that I interview. I'll probably be working on it before the interview, but then really after the interview is when I want to just, like, to get a feel you know, the spirits, like, let them guide me after our conversation, which is what I did with Jordan here. I didn't have that idea to make a song specifically for him until a couple nights ago, and that was like an epiphany, and I just, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> um, uh, like I said earlier, the sound quality on this episode is not as good as normal. I say it's like a notch or two above like a phone call quality, like when you hear somebody on the radio who's been interviewed over the phone. So I think it's more than listenable uh, and and nice, but uh, I, I, you know, I EQ'd it and tried to, to clean it up just a little bit. Um, but there was a thing like, you know, on podcasts, um, there's a little peek behind the curtain, how podcasting goes, which, you know, not a peek behind my curtain because... I messed this part up, but you know, Zoom, you can automatically record Skype or Skype calls in Zoom, Zoom calls. You can automatically record them as two separate audio tracks. And that's like the ideal thing to have when you're mixing the master audio file is to have two separate tracks, one for each person participant in the uh, conversation. But the thing is, Jordan, we were going to do that, but he didn't hit record on his recorder because I didn't tell him to because the thing in podcasting you're supposed to do and I didn't do because I'm such a noob and I've heard people allude to this before is you're supposed to just clap um, at the very beginning of the podcast so it's like hit record and then both of you just at the same time to um, sync it up so then you don't have to like you know worry about getting things it's just a similar issue I had on the Christy Yamaguchi main episode except this time was much uh easier to handle. Any hoozle? Uh, yeah, so I made an original song for Jordan. He is at GoToBedJordan on Twitter. I'm at Haas underscore Bossman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Jordan's podcast is Knowledge Fight. It's about Alex Jones, and it is hilarious, one of my favorites. Go check that out and support them. And here is Jordan's original song. It's called... Appropriately enough, after his Twitter handle, go to bed, Jordan. He was a totally satanic demon by age 10, reportedly. Rep what? Why? Go to bed. You let that guy babysit your kids. I mean, look at that. That is not a human. Why? Go to bed. He just looks like a guy. And it's not a mean thing to say that about him. Go to bed. But he doesn't have a soul. And nobody puts that in books. I'm just telling you that's what go it's to bed. Today. DM, I'm Jordan. We're a couple dudes. Go to bed. Mic down for this. This is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Go to bed. Three.
my speed of stupid though. <laughs> Reportedly. What's your bright spot today? 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 <laughs> Who wins in a fight, the devil or a Kennedy? <laughs> if you like this, that will blow my mind. Do you normally have a beard or is this a quarantine thing? Oh, uh, this is all a quarantine thing. My hair is usually, uh, you know, one-tenth of the length, and uh, I, I go clean-shaven, but now that it's so... I, I'm wearing a headband now. I can't even I can't even hang. That's how bad it's getting. <laughs> I've, I've been there before. I've grown my hair out long before, and, you know, you get at that phase where it's, like, all in your face, and the only... You can't really put it in a ponytail or anything. The only way to get it out of your face is, like, a bun or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not ready for a ponytail or a bun yet, so <laughs> hair being life for me. I guess uh, in during quarantine, you know, like you can, that's given a lot of people license to go through like the awkward phase of growing out a beard or growing out <laughs> long hair. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess first question, um, I will uh, embody you and ask, what, what's your bright spot today? Uh, oh man, today, today is a rough choice for a bright spot. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Well, the problem is uh, my uh, my partner woke up late for her classroom this morning, so it's a, it's been a whole mess for the morning. But I suppose my bright spot is really, uh, I guess, this conversation right now. Honestly, I haven't been doing much this morning other than fretting. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of my basic uh, uh, operating mode now. I know how that is. My my uh, girlfriend or partner. I never know which which one to go with. We we both are fine with boyfriend and girlfriend, but mm -hmm. we are we're always kind of like wondering which uh, what. Do you have like something against the term boyfriend or girlfriend, or is it just like a personal choice to you? Nah, I think it's. I I don't even know if it's. Uh, 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 I suppose more supposed to be more inclusive necessarily, or if it's really just an expression that, you know, I'm, we're not married, but she's not my girlfriend, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, of course it's, it's a good idea to normalize uh, partnerships as opposed to boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, you know, considering we have so many different ways of expressing that. Um, so I like to use partner. Yeah. Oh, very true. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. That's it's kind of like um, bringing up like, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend is kind of exclusionary to like non-binary people, I guess. Sure, sure. And uh, like, you know, listing your um, pronouns and your Twitter bio and that sort of thing. It's like, you know, it's all about just normalizing this thing that is new to some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By doing absolutely uh, almost almost absolutely nothing, I can make somebody's day easier why wouldn't I do that? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's just basic human decency to just be like, Oh, you, you're, I don't care if it's girlfriend or partner you do. So I'm going to say partner. That's it. That's all that matters to me. You know, precisely. Yeah. I mean, that's uh life is hard enough as it is. Why <laughs> add to that at all? Right. I want to talk to you about your book a little bit up front. Um, and also, I would say that's my bright spot. I've been listening to y'all's show for a couple of years now. And wow. I'm pretty sure I've gotten through every episode. Wow. Um, I know you guys have, like, given the piece of advice. <laughs> Specifically said, do not. <laughs> I, I, can, I, can only, I can only in good conscience recommend listening to about 35% of our show. Anything past <laughs> that is just dangerous. 
<laughs> it definitely gets like dark sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I know specifically y'all have said don't fall asleep listening to this show, which I have done many times. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you know, like podcasts, it's a it's a it's an interesting thing, you know, like the the parasocial relationship or whatever, like you know, yeah. the uh, at this point Alex Jones, it's like I think after a hundred episodes, you get what he's all about. Um, yeah. There's not, you know, he's at this point kind of irrelevant, but also kind of not in interesting ways. But it's like when I recommend the show to people, they're like, oh, yeah, Alex Jones. Like he is he still, you know, because there's not right. news about him very often now. Right, right, and I'm right. like, I'll usually just tell him like, you know, Alex Jones pretty much always delivers with weird, funny stuff. Like it's pretty nonstop. And mm -hmm. also the main thing that really I love about the show is the chemistry between you two. Like you guys bring such different energy to the show. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, have people told you that before? Uh, I mean, it's something that we're even uh, almost hyper aware of, uh, like borderline since we met each other. Uh, it was just an instant like whenever I picked him up, we were we went to do a show together in uh, in the suburbs. So it was about an hour drive to get to the show, and I picked him up. We had never met each other before, uh, just two Chicago comics. I picked him up, and then immediately for the next hour, we just talked nonstop. And then during the show, we're in the green room yelling at each other, just talking nonstop, like we couldn't stop with that. And eventually, it's just. You know, when you find out that you've been talking to somebody for like seven hours, eventually you're, you start to analyze it and you're like, oh, well, we just both come to very similar conclusions from utterly opposite points of view. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. And it, it's a, also the classic, you know, like I'm loud and annoying and he's calm and, you know, we're the odd couple kind of thing going on. So it just works. Sure. Yeah. No. And that's, that's what I always tell people is that like, there's just like a, uh, it, it makes for such a good like energy and such a natural sort of dynamic in the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, with the, with the book, I'll probably ask you some more questions about the show sort of as we go along, but um, is this as I'm a writer, actually unemployed at the moment, but, uh, or severely <laughs> underemployed. I'll say Aren't we all. Are. <laughs> um, but uh, I, um, have tried throughout my life many times to write a novel. And um, when I heard you were working on one, or I think maybe the first time I heard about it was after you had like, like hey, I just finished my novel. And you know, right, when you listen right, to right. a lot of podcasts, you like, sometimes you'll maybe not hear certain things they say. But um, so I was really excited to read it when you uh, said that. And also with the way the publishing industry is, I was like really surprised that it, I was able to read it as quickly after you said that as... <laughs> I was. Um, but is this the first novel you've ever finished? Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, I've when I was uh, when I was growing up, I was uh, uh, on that creative writing track from you know my freshman year of high school, where it was that kind of consistent positive reinforcement from everybody who had read my fiction stuff. Um, so it was all short. And then I went to college and I wound up going to five different universities to try and get a creative writing program that I cared about. And it just never really worked for me. 
And the moment I left that environment, I kind of switched into that same thing that most people wind up doing if they have any kind of writing pretensions, which is, you know, you go get a regular job and you're like, oh, I'll just write at night. And then you're so fucking exhausted from your normal job, you never wind up doing it. And so I had started and stopped probably 15, 20 things over 15, 20 years. And this was the first time that I really had the time uh, you know, after I lost my job, uh, after I was fired from my job, all of a sudden I've got nothing to do. Uh, and so it was, it was put up or, or shut up at that point. You know, if you've always wanted to write a novel and you got fired, write a novel. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Something that's kind of similar to with this podcast. And I just started making like uh, video essays. Um, basically I've been doing this podcast since the shortly after the pandemic started because yeah. like my hours got cut and then they just like got peeled back until I, I say I accidentally quit my job because I told my boss <laughs> I was looking for a new job during a like unprecedented global pandemic. And she found sure. a new person to replace me like two days later, but yeah, yeah. Um, never but give your boss any warning. You uh, leave yeah. them. Don't touch them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. I thought I was like doing the, doing the, uh, you know, ethical thing by telling them like, so that they wouldn't be totally. surprised by, it, but yeah, didn't work that now, way. I fired from my last job. What happened was, um, we had been working there for a long time and it was just, uh, me and this, uh, other person doing our job. And I thought we, I thought I deserved a raise. Uh, and since it was the two of us working together doing the exact same job, I was like, well, then we both deserve a raise. So I went and I was like, hey, I would want to raise for both of us. And uh, the owner of the company, Scott Kluth, uh, just goes, okay, you're fired. So <laughs> it, was, it was two seconds from when he read the proposal that I wrote up to when I was fired. And I mean, if that's not a good enough reason that we need like all jobs to be unionized, I mean. Right. <laughs> absolutely no leverage in most situations these days yeah no it's it's coming to the point where you're like we need a, an entire human union uh <laughs> labor unite <laughs> yeah a general strike of like all labor um 100 percent. i mean it um well how many times would you say that you've like attempted to write a novel before or have you mostly like dabbled in short story writing before this um, I think I, I think the the way to answer that is I've tried writing a novel, but I couldn't find a story that was big enough to justify one. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've tried technically, you know, I tried writing a novel, but it wound up being 10,000 words. So if that's the completion of the story, it's not a novel. Right. Mm -hmm. And generally what I wind up doing is, once I'm done with a thing, I just have to move on from it. I can't go back and tinker with it. Otherwise, it'll just never end. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I probably could have taken those 10,000 words and added more to them and done a better job. And instead of doing that, I just toss it aside and move on to the next thing. I think this a lot of the first time I've told a story that was big enough for the novel to justify it. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, creative people have that thing. It's like when I first learned of B-sides, I was always mm -hmm. like, I remember thinking like, 
they have songs that they just like throw out and isn't hard to like write all those songs and then realizing like as a creative person once you like you get more into it and i'm i'm a musician and right. like you realize like you come up with so many ideas that you wind up like throwing out and whatnot um when did you get into doing stand-up by the way um i got into doing stand-up uh almost exactly 10 years ago um happy anniversary my- yeah, well, uh, yeah, I've basically stopped uh, after uh, nine and a half, but, sure. uh, you know, there used to be comedy. Uh, those were the great, the, the before time. Yes. Uh, and uh, so what happened was when I was growing up, my uncle actually worked for a comedy club and he had done stand up for uh, a long time in the in the heyday, in the 80s uh, comedy boom. And since he still worked for a comedy club, he would wind up getting all of these old booking tapes back in, back in the day, you used to have to send a physical VHS to each comedy club that you wanted to work at. So in his apartment, he had stacks on stacks of these uh, tapes. And so I would just watch them kind of obsessively. And I had always really loved stand up comedy. I'd always been part of that world. And it took until I was 23 to actually finally realize, oh, you can just go to an open mic and do it. Uh, so I just went to an open mic and started doing stand-up. And it was like the, the moment I stepped on stage, because I had been so depressed for such a long time, the moment I stepped on stage, I was like, oh, finally, just something that I can grasp onto creatively. Awesome. Yeah. Like some way to just express yourself. I've definitely had like peaks and valleys myself being like, you just, you know, as a creative person, like I was in bands all through, you know, middle school and high school and college. And then I went to teach in China after college and like, just haven't really got back into playing live music after that. Oh, and, cool. How long were you in China for? Uh, I was only there for like six months. Um, mm. But you know, doing the same thing all like white 20 somethings are doing in China. Sure. Sure. Um, <laughs> oh, Chicago comic actually started doing stand up in, in China. Uh, he was out there uh, doing that teaching English thing and wound up uh, doing stand up for expats. And that's how he started. Uh, yeah. He's out in LA now. It's, uh, Sean White, I believe. Yeah. Sean White, that name is familiar. I, I listen to a lot of comedy podcasts. So I've, that name might have come across before um could be i hope so he's a good guy yeah the the expat community (laughs) in uh in shanghai is like very uh very big and do you know what city in china he was in uh not entirely sure i it might have been uh shanghai yeah Mm. there's yeah i mean obviously lots of people there in general but and then you know a lot more people speak english than i had anticipated and stuff so yeah Yeah, very very cool experience but yeah not having a creative outlet like you know my girlfriend's been in law school the past few years so i've been like working as a copywriter supporting her and um or trying to help support her not supporting her (laughs) um and uh then um you know, I just, when the pandemic hit, really, I started doing this podcast and started making videos and making music for those things and realized like, this is just a really great excuse to put a bunch of- That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That is totally cool. So, you know, been having some, some fun with that. And also, and I totally get what you're saying about like, 
just like feeling like there's something missing and mm. especially having had it before. So did you feel like, you know, I know when you're in school, like high school and college, there's a lot of outlets for writing. You know, you can take creative writing courses and then there's like campus magazines and stuff like that that you can publish things in. Did you like kind of feel the loss of those things after college? Um, well, the, I mean, here's the problem with that. Uh, so immediately following college, uh, I dropped out um, when I was 19. Um, I, I had started going to college when I was 17, and I wound up dropping out at 19. And the reason I dropped out was because uh, I was an unmedicated uh, bipolar one. So I dropped out and I wound up going into a three-year-long depression uh, that I have no memory of. <laughs> so, wow. and, and, yeah, yeah, no, there's three years of my life that are just gone. Um, and so I really don't 100% know <laughs> how I was feeling at that point. Um, and then whenever I, what wound up kicking me out of it was, uh, uh, starting to do up. So I didn't, I went straight from, uh, in, in my recollection i went straight from writing creatively fiction on the page to to standing on stage uh telling jokes so it was almost like a seamless transition uh in in retrospect mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in my imaginary history uh that's that's pretty much how it went yeah well i mean i'm i'm sorry to hear that but uh that's um eh, fine I'm glad that you were uh, able them. to find something. <laughs> yeah, I guess Not so, like right? there was anything good going on. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, the, um, maybe it's a, it was a defense mechanism or something that you don't really remember those years. <laughs> could be. No, it's, an, it's entirely possible. Uh, I mean, yeah, then uh, it was stand up and also I started taking my mental illness seriously and uh, getting medication for it. Mm -hmm. um, that probably has something to do with it as well, I would probably say. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. I mean, I've had, you know, a few friends in my life who have had bipolar disorder and, um, mm. you know, throughout it's, it seems like it's, uh, fairly common, maybe among our generation or something. I don't know, but I've, I've known a few people who have had it and, um, yeah, uh, medication seems to help a lot with that. And yeah. you know, I've had I've had my own struggles with mental health, but more on the just like you know uh, depression, anxiety side of things. Sure. Um, and not not nearly as serious as some people I've known, but yeah. Um, also, you know, like substance abuse, as musicians and comics often get <laughs> sucked into that hole at some point. Yes, we take it as a point of pride all too often in the in the wrong way. Yeah. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. you know, use it to loosen up or whatever and yeah. uh, definitely hit a point where I just have like a much better relationship with all that stuff now. Yeah, absolutely. There were uh, there were too many comics that I knew who were unable really to think that they could perform without taking, you know, three or four shots uh, mm -hmm. before they can go up, which is like, if that's what you need to perform, you should figure out <laughs> a better way. <laughs> You know, you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it, it took me a long time to figure that out that like, you know, and I, I get a lot more joy out of um, just, you know, using alcohol as a 
what you perceive regular people to be, <laughs> how, how they use it. Um, and, uh, you know, making stuff and realizing like, oh yeah, I can just write stuff and come up with things and have fun without having to like, you know, grease the wheels or whatever. Right, right, right. Um, totally. But uh, yeah, so, so speaking of mental health stuff, uh, <laughs> how big of a role did the Trump presidency play in precipitating you finally saying like, okay, I'm going to write a novel about, it, it doesn't seem like it's a, you know, coincidence that like the times we're living in and the premise of your novel are, it's that kind of near future edge of dystopia sort of thing. Um, how big of a role did the Trump presidency play in like your idea for this book or did you kind of have it before? Um, I would say the Trump campaign uh, or not the Trump campaign. It was uh, when we started our podcast, like that inauguration, when Dan and I started uh, looking at things through the lens of Alex uh, Jones, of course, is um, it made me far more aware of a lot of stuff that was going on. Um, it, it, it's, and then just that influence of conspiracies dominating our daily lives now. Instead of being like, oh, every now and again, somebody would be like, oh, 9-11 was an inside job. Uh, and everybody has fun with that. Uh, it's great. Uh, it's an enjoyable experience. George W. is evil as shit. Why wouldn't he cause 9-11? You know, that makes sure. sense. To now on a daily basis, we have both a conspiracy of people who are uh, murdering hundreds of thousands of people for their own personal political gain. And then you have those, that conspiracy, a very real one, spreading conspiracy theories about other bullshit. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those nesting dolls of uh, conspiracy upon conspiracy. So whenever I uh, started writing the book, the first thing that I needed to make sure I had was uh, conspiracies upon conspiracies upon conspiracies. Uh, and that's kind of uh, the influence that the, the Trump administration has had uh, upon, uh, you know, my creative process. And I think anything that you write that is intended to be satirical now has to be so aggressively uh, 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 surreal in order to heighten the reality of, of Trump. You know, mm. it's... Uh, it's just a, a, a banana situation. There's no, uh, there's no bottom, which means there's no escalation of his rhetoric that can uh, kind of uh, expose how stupid it is. It's, it's blatant. Uh, so you have to go hard if you want to do satiric, satirical now. Yeah. Um, the, it's like uh, things at a certain point it feels like you're, you know, you'll say something as a joke and then like two weeks later, it's like actually happening. Like that's oh, 100%. No, it's insane. Yeah. Um, you, th you think you can, you think you can parody something and then you can't like in uh, in the book, one of the, the scenes is uh, a guy who owns the news network that everything's run on is on the network. And the host is trying to push back and he just says, okay, fine, go back into your cage. They take her off and then put a replacement in her spot and everybody acts like nothing happened. And it's like, that's 
how far uh, surreal you have to go to to be satirical. And I wouldn't be surprised if in a year Trump is on Fox News telling uh, uh, somebody to go back into their cage. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's just no way to, to go far enough. I don't even know. So that's, that's the problem. Yeah, that was that was actually something that um, I uh, I'll just go ahead and skip down to this one question I had that was kind of related to that, that like I have to tell you, I started writing like a novel a couple of years ago and <laughs> I sort of like set set it aside for the moment as I'm doing the podcast and everything. And <clears throat> during the pandemic, for some reason, it's I'm like kind of waiting to see how things are going because like. Sure. There are some very, very broad parallels, I think, between like the approach that you took in your novel, like mine, I was kind of drawing on my experience as a musician. Um, and uh, but it, it sort of is that same sort of idea as like a near edge of dystopia, near future sort of satire. Did you did you ever have points when you were reading the novel that or writing the novel that it seemed like, oh, shit, I can't do this now because this real thing happened that was even weirder than the I, fictional idea I had for the thing in the book that I thought was like subtle. Was, did anything sure. like that happen? Um, honestly, honestly, no. Uh, but that's because from the very moment I started, it was like, there is, you have to go as far as you possibly can. So um, the entire, you know, like the name of the book is The Quiet Part Loud. So it's all built around making everything as obvious as possible. Like um, my, one of my my inspiration for uh, the way that the the book is set up is uh, actually Norm Macdonald. Um, one of the things that Norm Macdonald did uh, does with his with his writing process is to take away any and all cleverness. So all of that kind of sleight of hand comedy where. You know, you think you're going to zig, but then you zag. And that's the, the way that the joke works. Norm MacDonald makes it so you know where he's going to start the joke, where he's going to end the joke. There's no in-between. Everybody knows what's coming, and it's still hilarious. And so whenever I started writing the book with that kind of philosophy, it's, it's just everything has to be as obvious as possible which means it has to be even more heightened uh, than it normally would be. You know, even even now, there's still like attempts at obfuscation, you know, like the Trump campaign trying to say, like uh, Bill Barr trying to say that the masks are worse than slavery. You know, like all of this stuff is these little obfuscation points uh, that they still have to try and pull off. And I just tried to remove everything from that, you know, like, if if a character is a raging racist, they're going to say something ragingly racist as hard as it can possibly go. Um, so it never it never really concerned me that they could out uh, invent me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, I don't think their creativity is, is good enough uh, to, to go as far as I can go. I would strongly agree with that. Um, and, you know. I guess probably a tired thing, like if you were, if you've done radio and stuff, I'm sure you've been asked the question about like, is, is Trump a good thing for comedy, you know, and I've heard comedians yeah. talk about it on stage and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and 
I guess like what what I'm wondering is like, did you that same sort of idea did you like bring that over from stand-up was that something you were kind of finding from like you know working rooms and whatnot um i had um so i i've written several jokes uh about trump since 2015 uh and all of them have been based around the idea that he's terrible for comedy uh <laughs> so it's it's that uh because because part of comedy is taking normal everyday things and then elevating them to absurdity. Mm -hmm. You know, you take a, a situation where you order coffee and you continue to heighten the stakes of it until it is so absurd, you know, you're fighting somebody through the window on the street. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how you escalate those situations. And with Trump, you really just can't do that. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to say? Like, oh man, this guy's so horny, he fucked a porn star. He did. Like what are you like what are you gonna say to him? So it's it's really terrible for comedy. And also he's killing all of us. We don't have jobs anymore. None of us are stand ups. It's the worst thing that comedy's ever had. <laughs> At least during Bush's years, we still existed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's it's like uh, people said the same thing about like, oh, there's going to be a lot of good punk music that's coming out, going to come out about the Trump presidency. And it's just like everything is just so obvious and right in front of us, though. Like, is there yeah. really anything to say on, that's really super creative about this specific guy? Um, 100. Yeah. Uh, oh, so I don't want to try and spoil anything about the book for my very, very admittedly small audience. Uh, but um, I know I have heard you mention on Knowledge Fight that you were born into some sort of a cult-ish type thing. Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I know I've just heard you mention it and that's not like what y'all show is about. So I've never really heard you go into it. Um, would you mind giving like a rundown of whatever details of that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh yeah, sure. No, it's no problem. Um, as far as what happened when I was born, my parents uh, or my whole family at that time was in a, a cult called the No Name Fellowship. And it was based out of Champaign, Illinois, a former uh, uh, football player who was uh, on his way to being in the NFL, blew out his knee. So then, of course, the natural progression is to start a cult. Uh, so he got together all of these people into this, uh, this Bible study. And they all started out with this intention of like, we're going to get closer to God. And then eventually the elders of the cult were telling all of the women what to wear. Uh, they forced, um, uh, marriages between, uh, uh, homosexual people in order to try and cure them of that. Um, you know, like one of the things that happened when I was growing up is uh, a friend of the family had three kids, uh, and then I never met the mother of those kids. And it took until I was like 22 to find out that um, they, the, the mother had been uh, a lesbian uh, the entire time that had been forced to do all of this stuff. And that's so fucked up. Uh, that you can't even process that kind of shit. Um, and it didn't end until uh, the cult leader uh, and uh, some cult members in Spokane, Washington, 
wound up uh, killing uh, a child. Um, what happened was the father of, of the kid, um, he was ill. And it was because he was undiagnosed as being a type one diabetic, but because they're a cult and they don't believe in doctors, they sat around and prayed for him. And then eventually after a day of him still being sick, they decided that he was being punished for masturbating. And the kid wouldn't admit that. So they hit him uh, with a paddle and all of that stuff. And then the next morning uh, he was found dead uh, because they hadn't fed him. That was part of the punishment. So that's when the cult ended is because the leader of the cults uh, went to prison. But even then, he only went to prison for a few years. And now he's online doing workout videos and shit. Uh, it's, it's like these people are collectively responsible for this. And nobody was really uh, punished to the, the level that uh, I suppose should have happened. I, I don't know. But yeah, it was, it was real fucked up. <laughs> Jesus, uh, yeah. Then how old were you when that stuff happened? Uh, I was, I think they got out of the cult when I was two or three. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't been subjected to uh, the worst of it. Like my older brothers were uh, uh, far more cognizant of what was going on while they were in the cult. Uh, and I have not really talked about them because nobody in my family really talks about it. It's just one of those things where we're all like, you know, it was the 80s. Who hasn't joined a cult in the 80s? Reagan was everywhere. Why wouldn't you join a cult? You know? Right. Um, would you say that that, uh, maybe not experience, but just that being in your background led to maybe a, and everybody thinks cults are interesting. Totally. Everybody kind of wonders like how right. I've always thought I would be a super easy mark for a cult. Sure. Because um, uh, I'm a people pleaser and I you know, don't like confrontation and, you know, I just be like too polite. But um, go along I, to get along is how cults start. Yeah, that, exactly. that is exactly how it goes. Yeah, I know I'd be very susceptible to that. But um, <laughs> so um, did that. But do you think that having that in your background was a, like a big part of why that was included in this story that you wrote? 100%. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not something that I can really even not think about because uh, my middle name, my full name is Jordan Benea Holmes. Uh, and the reason my middle name is Benea, or, or the reason my name is Jordan Benea is because the leader of the cult prophesied uh, that in the month of May in 1987, a child will be born with the name Jordan Benea. Uh, I was supposed to have a different name, but I was born three weeks late. So I wound up being born in May and my parents changed my name to Jordan Benea as part of the prophecy. So my entire birth. Now here's the craziest part. Here's my favorite part of this whole fucking story is that, uh, this wasn't about me. Uh, it wasn't about our part of the cult even. There was another sect in Spokane, Washington, that knew there was a child that was going to be born in May, and they had chosen the name Jordan Benea, right? So that was more of a birth announcement than a prophecy. 
<laughs> but because he he has to he's a cult leader he has to phrase it like a hypo like a prophecy uh-huh. so now there are two people on the planet earth and i've checked this out named jordan benea there's only two of us uh and obviously one of us is going to kill the other in uh, in mortal Kombat. i think that's the only <laughs> thing that makes any sense right yeah so you two have never met face to face right okay no. Matt- I imagine if you do no. something real bad is going to happen with the fabric totally. of the if space. Totally. the whole world explodes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Yeah. Matter, antimatter kind of collision. Exactly. Now, um, we talked on Facebook one time, and uh, I found out that the guy was actually a captain in the military. Hmm. He was a captain of the U.S. Army, and he was married to, like, uh, someone who is 18th in line or something for uh, the Swedish royal family. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm I'm the asshole comedian, and he's married to royalty. I think we know who's the good guy and the bad guy in this situation, right? <laughs> like I'm clearly the evil twin. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know that that could always be like something that could be turned on its head in a good story. I think sure. that he would turn out to be the bad guy, but I mean, he's a, he's an expression of aggression. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's yeah, uh, uh, especially nowadays. We're trying to go against all of those uh, stereotypes about you know what a hero is. So right. we shouldn't be yeah, yeah. <laughs> a in the military. Snuck from Chicago. That's a, that's exactly <laughs> what it could be. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's our turn. I would like to say that I was too principled because I was. I would have called myself a leftist by the time I was like 13. Mm-hmm. But I and so like, you know, I was listening to punk bands and stuff. And I remember like when I had friends, I mentioned this in another interview I did recently when we were talking about this somewhat this topic that like I remember I had friends who were like joining the military who I had like been in punk bands with and stuff yeah. and i was like what the f- was this like cosplay to you guys like i thought that we right. were like really you know uh, going yeah. against the the machine or whatever but when when that started happening that was just like a very a very strange time for me and it's kind of uh nice that the the narrative has seemed to change a little bit around that yeah did you have the recruiter guys in the in the cafeteria at your high school all yes. of that stuff yeah, those the that that stuff happened when I was in high school, and you would just walk by those guys, and they'd be like, "Do you want a way out?" And you, <laughs> since you're in a small town, you're part of you is like, "This is a way out." So maybe I am gonna have to take it sooner or later because I can't stay here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like uh, the when Trump said that thing recently about uh, or, you know, it was reported that he said the thing about the World War One veterans or, you know, the dead World War One veterans. It was like walking by their graves and called them losers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think like I, I saw some leftists posting online like, oh, this is one thing I actually agree with Trump about. And it's like, I don't think you guys understand. He doesn't mean like they're suckers for having like been used by the military industrial complex. Yeah. He means they're yeah. losers because they died. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that is if not one. If they had lived, they would be winners. Yes. That's very simple for him. Yeah. 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 Which is a totally fucking bizarre take, but you know, that's what was in his head when he said that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of situations where people choose uh things that wind up turning them into 
uh, I suppose, evil, uh, but are, are also just really influenced by the horrible system that puts them into the place where that makes sense as a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you, when you think about all these fucking evil ass cops and you just remember, this is a job, man. This is a fucking gig. You could work at a Denny's and it's the same thing. It's a gig. And they just take it so seriously because it's part of that culture of like turning cops into an army. Mm-hmm. So fucked. <laughs> just so fucked. I mean, yeah, so many things are so fucked right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, but, you know, at least we're talking about how fucked things are. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you consider really how fucked things were during Obama's tenure, and we're all just like, he seems really competent. So I'm yeah. just going to let that. He seems like he knows what he's doing, he sounds smart as shit. So we got to listen to this dude. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I I remember being in 2012 by the time I was kind of, I went through a centrist phase in college, um, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was young and dumb. And, uh, and I remember by the time Mitt Romney was running, thinking like, maybe if Mitt Romney wins, people will actually start caring about the drone strikes again. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah. And I mean, I kind of like got what I wished for in a very perverse way with with Trump. It's like now we're talking about all the horrible things that the government yeah. has been doing all along. But yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, a very ugly I'm face. On people it. were really getting into why is it that we're overthrowing governments for Chiquita Banana? Why are we doing that? Are we <laughs> yeah. doing that for good? I don't think that's good. Yeah, I was but, like, how could that possibly be good? Yeah. No, 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 our government's great. Let's not worry about it. incrementalism, my friend. That's what we got to focus on. I mean, hopefully, you know, that the narrative right now, it's all, everything is like so jumbled. But I mean, the, the right is saying that Joe Biden is controlled by the radical left. So, you know, maybe mm-hmm. we can uh, try to make that a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, that's that's something that I have been uh saying and thinking a lot about is in the same way that they're using it as like a slur to demean Joe Biden, it is also permission to actually be on the left. No matter what you do, you are going to be painted as the socialist monster. So fucking lean in. (laughs) Do it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no reason to try and appeal to people who are going to insist that you're the devil, which is the literal Christian devil that they are insisting (laughs) you are in league with. Yeah. And I mean, the take of so many, I I always thought that like people on the right thought socialism was bad because of this vague sense from propaganda that like it, that leftism creates some kind of power vacuum. And so like something like Stalin is inevitable in any kind of like communist or socialist system, um, which is complete nonsense if you really like look into why people think that of course um but recently it's been like oh no they just like talk about socialism and leftism as just being inherently evil they don't even have to give any reasoning for it no no it's a it's born out of just that that intense anti-communism left over from the cold war and in a in a way it kind of makes sense just the just because an entire generation was raised on nothing but anti-communist propaganda immediately following the decimation 
of any adults that would be around to help them out. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those, like, if you, if you really start tracing back where stuff comes from, you know, you wind up being like, well, shit's terrible now. And then you trace it back a little bit further and you're like, holy shit, shit was really terrible back then. And you go back a little bit further and you're like, Jesus Christ, things were terrible back then. What is going on with people? And then yeah. you find your way back in the fucking Bible and you're like, well, that guy was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've, uh, power has been out of the hands of the left broadly speaking for a very very long time at this moment and then just like throughout history it seems like it's been a rarity and when i say the left i'm you know kind of just saying like people whose main goal is egalitarianism you know like a, right. a society based on like lessening human suffering instead of like increasing profits um but yeah um, yeah the left historically has served to push everybody to a better place and act as target practice for the right. Yep. And, uh, and never be thanked for pushing people into a better place. Never, never be blamed for being forced to live a better life. How <laughs> dare you? How dare you give me a weekend? You evil leftist. An evil plot to, uh, bring a little bit more peace and lessen suffering in the world. Can't wrap my head around it sometimes, but yeah. How um, dare you get stomped under my boots for the right to vote how dare <laughs> you you monster um so i just had like a handful more questions about the book i'm mean, mindful of your time we've been talking for like almost an hour now and i don't know if you oh, have like i talk all day that's what i do okay awesome <laughs> um i will uh keep you here for a little bit longer then um i've never read a lot of like actual comedy writing up until i was in college i started reading mark twain and mm. other than that like i haven't really read all that much and I, I absolutely love mark twain now basically just like took a mark twain class in college because my favorite professor was teaching it and i was like oh he's like really funny and that'll be yeah. like, a perfect thing and it turned out to be yeah. right so i've heard you talk about douglas adams a lot on knowledge fight mm -hmm. And I can definitely see his influence in your writing. Like, I haven't read a whole lot of his stuff, but um, I've, like, heard some of the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide radio drama, which I think is maybe the first adaptation of it that there mm -hmm. was before there was oh, a yeah. movie. Um, before and, there was uh, a book? No, there were, there were plenty of uh, small pieces of that from uh, Douglas Adams' career because he originally started out writing uh, radio plays and drama and uh, putting together a bunch of stuff for uh, Monty Python and Doctor Who and his his career was uh, incredible. Absolutely. He even made a video game before video games were even a thing. Wow, I did not know that about him. Yeah, yeah. He had a text. He was obsessed with computers far ahead of his time and wound up writing a like text adventure game uh based around the hitchhiker's guide universe oh that's really awesome i'd have to he him and uh who's that i i just recently found out about that um what's that guy's name harlan ellison made a video game about that sci-fi story the i have no mouth and i must scream there's like a, i did not know that <laughs> apparently that's there's cool. yeah, a pc game from the 90s that's like he like had a big part in designing and mm -hmm. i really want to play this game because it's apparently that's such a have you read that story Huh? No, that um, sounds cool. Yeah, it's a very cool one. I think uh, there's like PDFs of it available online. It's only like 13 pages long. I highly recommend mm -hmm. it. But um, yeah, the uh, it's all about like it's the bleakest shit I've ever read in my life. Maybe um, Jesus, but bleaker uh, than Blood Meridian. 
Um, I, I've never read Blood Meridian or really any okay. Cormac McCarthy, but you're um, not missing a lot. That's <laughs> that's I, I hear both ends of the spectrum on that. That I'm missing everything and that I'm not missing a lot. So I'll have yeah. to try it sometime. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, apparently like wanted to teach like ethics and philosophy through this game because he was like kind of a grump. You know, he's like a oh, video game just like rots kids' brains or whatever. Sure, so I want to make sure, a good sure. game that's gonna like yeah. And apparently it's like a really cool, interesting experience playing it. So, ah, cool. Um, but uh, what do you think of the most Steph and Martin Freeman Hitchhiker's Guide movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Well, I think the shoehorned in love story between uh, Trillian and Arthur uh, is, is a problem for me. I, I appreciated that uh, she was... Uh, constantly and always out of his reach. Uh, he's a sad sack. He's Arthur Dent. He's the guy who's still in his pajamas in space, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was something that was a, a little bit disappointing, but most F is Ford prefect was amazing. He was really, really good. Uh, I appreciated that a lot. And then uh, who, Bill Nye as Florida Bartfast uh, is so great. He is so great. Uh, I loved his stuff uh, quite a bit, but Bill Nighy is always great. So there's yeah, that. I guess I didn't know who Bill Nighy was when I first saw that or last saw that movie. But yeah, I guess that yeah. was him in it. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, overall, it's, yeah, overall, it's good. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 decent. I mean, I'll I'll watch anything with most Steph in it. I mean, I just you know, he's like I'm not super into hip hop, but I have like a few artists that I really really love, and he's one of mm-hmm. them. Um, so I'll like anything he touches, I will. Oh, totally. Black on both sides is maybe uh, one of the best albums of the 2000s. Uh, I mean, it's just so good. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I love that. That was like one of the main soundtracks to my high school years. Oh, so good. Yeah, I realize this question has had a lot of preamble and diversions, which is which is great because I mean that's I have to edit the shit out of my podcast because I go on all these like tangents. But um the the quiet part loud, it, it definitely has its own like style and but and that like seems very unique to you, or at least like I don't know, I haven't really read anything that quite reads like it, but you're obviously like a big fan of Adams. Were there like any times when you were writing that you could like feel Adams' influence, or you were maybe like what what kind of sources did you draw from, if any, consciously? Well, I mean, the, well, consciously for sure. Uh, the thing about writing uh, writing humor is that it is very he just looks like a guy. And it's not a mean thing to say that about him. But he doesn't have a soul. And nobody puts that in books. I'm just telling you that's what I said. What's your price spot today? DM, I'm short. We're a couple dudes. Mic down for this. This is stupid. <laughs> really my speed of stupid, though. <laughs> Reportedly. What's your price spot today? 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 All right, folks, and that is just about going to do it. Going to leave you on a little cliffhanger there. Going to gonna make you wanting to come back for more. And that's going to do it for this first half of my chat with the great, the inimitable, the amazing. 
I don't know what inimitable means. I should look that up before I post this. Jordan Holmes. I hope you're all enjoying it so far. He was an absolute delight, and I hope to have him on another episode of Breadsheet soon. Maybe him and Dan from uh, Knowledge Fight could come here together. Please follow him on Twitter at Go to bed, Jordan. Listen to the Knowledge Fight podcast. It's one of my faves. Download his book at thequietpartloud.com. My suggested payment for that uh, would be like 20 bucks. I think it's worth 20, 30 bucks. But anyone with an internet connection can read it. So there you go. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Haas underscore Bossman. Support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Haas underscore Bossman. Check out my YouTube channel, Haas Bossman, and go to www.haas.fun for my main hub on the intertubes. That's Haas.fun. Gaze upon the description of this episode for all those lovely links. I am a decent guy, I think. I truly, honestly, just want to take whatever tools I have at this insane, pivotal time in American and world history and help advance the causes of peace, equality, truth, reconciliation, and not become homeless in the process of doing so. So please, please uh, rate and review this show, share it with your friends, etc., and maybe I can keep using the power of music art in general and conversation to soften people's hardened souls and connect with my countrymen world women and universe non-binary friends in the unique and fun ways that I love to. So help me out. Help Jordan out. Let's all help each other be the best versions of ourselves. Oh, and uh, music-wise, we're going to ride out today on... uh, I haven't decided yet, but whatever it is, uh, I guess I will pick a song off of our first studio album welcome everybody from the kmax uh, you can go to the kmax.bandcamp.com that's another way to support me and uh, this is an album that is not available on itunes or spotify or any of those places the only place you can get it is bandcamp and you can purchase it there it's uh, the first full-length album i ever made slash wrote and uh it's from 2008 so it's an oldie but it's a goodie 12 years old, man. Um, So I'm going to play one of the songs off of that. I love you all with all my soul. R.I.P. R.B.G. We're going to get through this together, y'all. I promise we are going to get through this. Please come back again real soon for a new-esque mini-sode and the rest of my chat with the great Jordan Holmes. on the team.
Bombs away. 